in our final installment of our mini-series, if you will, on the doctrine of regeneration. I turn you again to Numbers 14.24. Numbers 14.24, but my spirit Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereunto he went, and his seed shall possess it. If only this generation had eyes to see what is important and who is important and would cease to look upon that which is thrust before our eyes. This, this is what you should be looking at. This is what you should be accounting as valuable. And this person is so very important and you should imitate him or her. Oh, there is so much vanity. There is so much distraction. If we could only see that those who are born of the Spirit of God, they are the precious ones of the earth. They are the apple of God's eye. And though they are hated and despised as Caleb was, who in fact came just a whisker away from being stoned to death, and yes, indeed, if you are born again, you make yourself the enemy of the world. And the world is not your friend. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, therefore the world hates you. But if the world doesn't hate you, friend, I fear it is a mark, a mark that you are not of God, but you are of the world. And though you will rejoice with the world, you will be going with them in that rejoicing down that broad path to destruction which is why you must be born again. But my servant Caleb, God is pointing us to him. He is the one to look at. This is what is important. My servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereinto he went, and his seed shall possess it. Caleb had another spirit with him, the Spirit of God, who is the author of regeneration or the rebirth, starting over, being transformed and renewed. The subjects of regeneration, they are the elect. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. The time or the timeline of regeneration. We have uh, looked at this which has begun in the womb of eternity where the actual decree went out and as it were uh, that voice of God finally at the time that it pleases God and the stream 
of our own personal lives, if indeed we are chosen by God, at that moment, all of the sudden, the fire is kindled and the sinner is awakened and transformed. We have looked at the opposition inside that regeneration overcomes. There is a mighty resistance because of total depravity with inside. The ground of regeneration, that is union with Christ. There is no spiritual life unless we are planted into his life. And we have also considered, although out of order, because of our observance of the Lord's Supper and our preparation uh, service, the visible signs of regeneration. Now, let us close by looking at the blessed event itself. The blessed event itself. Caleb had another spirit. He had another spirit, implying that he received that other spirit. Implying that within his own personal history, there was a time when he was not born again. Oh, what a blessed event. Even even more blessed than, than the day of one's birth is the day of one's rebirth. For unless you are born of water and of the Spirit, you shall not see the kingdom of God. You must, says Jesus, you must be born again. There must be a moment, a turning point, a radical change that happens in the timeline of your life or you are under the wrath of God and you are sinking into everlasting destruction. If this does not happen to you, then friends, you are in a most miserable condition. Oh, that God the Holy Spirit would do a saving work today and open your eyes if you are yet blind. Take out your heart of stone if you are yet hardened in your sins and give you a heart of flesh and join Caleb who stood out who wouldn't just go with the flow, who stood strong, courageously, believing that God is able to perform that which he had promised. And when everyone else ended up dead in the desert, he aged and 40 years later set foot in the promised land. And so we too shall set foot in the blessed country of heavenly glory if we are born again. Let us consider six points this morning as we look at the blessed event, the blessed event of the rebirth. Now, the following six points are not to be understood as in a very strict order because when uh, 
the heart is changed. Everything happens at once. It's, it's simultaneous. But these are different aspects and dimensions of what happens. First, there is the enlightening of the mind. Until that point, one is in darkness, spiritual darkness. They understand nothing that is ultimately important. Oh, they may understand many, many things. They may be able to educate us on all kinds of subjects and have a greater mastery and a proficiency in a hundred different uh, skills and, and disciplines. Yet the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him. You might as well be speaking Turkish. He won't understand. None of it makes sense. And none of the princes of this world knew the wisdom of God in a mystery, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You see, they were in darkness. They didn't see ultimate reality. They had been blinded by the God of this world. And that's why the Jews and the Gentiles united to crucify the Lord of glory. But, says Paul, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. God has hidden these things from the wise and the prudent, and he has revealed them unto babes. Even so, For so it seemed good in the sight of the Father. But God hath revealed these mysteries unto us by the Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. The Apostle Paul tells Agrippa, That God has sent the apostles forth to bring light into the darkness of the heathen world. God has sent us to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins. At that moment... Not a moment before. And there's, there's no pre-exam studying. There's no cramming that can ever tip the scales in the mind of a darkened sinner to understand that I am a sinner and a rebel before God. I put that out of my mind. I don't like that. I affirm myself, and I expect that you'll affirm me as well. I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. I think I'm doing perfectly fine. There is a way that seems right unto a man, 
but the end of it are the ways of death. He can't see otherwise. He sees himself as good, and what he is doing is good. He overrides his better judgment. His conscience is still there, but but he muzzles his conscience. In John Bunyan's other great allegory, The Holy War, there was a Mr. Recorder in the city of Mansoul. And when he spoke, the citizens didn't like what he said, so they silenced him. And that's how the mind works, the mind. Because it is alienated from the the life of God, it, 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 it hates the witness of God. It especially does not love its testimony concerning my fallenness and that I deserve everlasting wrath. And the only way to be saved is for a Nazarene who worked carpentry for most of his life and started preaching to the poor in Galilee. He's got to be crucified on a Roman cross to absolve me of my sins that I may escape hell and go to heaven. I find that offensive. It's rather off-putting. It's rather sick, perhaps, the natural man will say. But at that moment, at that moment that it pleases God, because this one is chosen, this one is loved, this one the Father has given to the Son that he might redeem, and the Son will go and collect And he sends his spirit at that moment and the scales fall from the eyes and all of a sudden I see who I am and who God is and what that preacher is saying begins to make sense to me. And I may have heard it a thousand times. And my parents, they they taught me and they instructed me and I just nodded the head and I went along, but it never really registered here. At that moment, God opens the eyes and there's nothing that anyone can do to prepare for it or to cause it. There's no intensity or volume in the preaching of the preacher that kind of, that can in some way effect it's not rhetoric it's not manipulation it is the spirit of god opening the eyes shining light into darkness oh the blessed event god may god grant it once and again Second, and closely related to this, the conscience is awakened. All of a sudden, this dark dungeon in which I've been living, I, I thought it was normal. I mean, I've been, I've been here ever since I was an infant. I haven't known anything else. I, I thought this was reality. 
and perhaps you or somebody listening to this message right now, you really think that your life, spiritually speaking right now, is reality. It's not. You're living a lie. It's a falsehood. You're putty in the devil's hands. And you handed your soul right over to him. And he's whispered these lies in your ear saying, this is normal. This is right. Your lips are your own. Live. Live how you want. Join with everyone else doing that which is right in your own eyes. You do you. But then when that light breaks through, and it's not just a little shaft, the whole wall bursts open and light, the light of day floods in. But it involves pain Because all of a sudden, the reality of my sins are exposed. You see, John chapter 3 teaches us that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not comprehend it. And those who are in the darkness do not come to the light, lest their deeds be exposed. You see, we, we have these these coping mechanisms when it comes to guilt. There are different ways that we can deal with guilt short of repenting and coming clean before God and begging Him for mercy. We want peace, but we want it on our terms. And so we engage in different kinds of escapism. We want to hide from the... the, the, the accusations of a troubled conscience. And so we escape. There are a thousand different kinds of escape, some of them perfectly innocent in themselves. Or even using reasoning to, to, to rationalize away our sins. Well, you see, it was because of my dad. I'm this way because of dad. I was born this way, (laughs) you know? Well, we are born this way. And we're a lot worse coming out of the womb than most would actually think. As Christians, we don't deny for a moment that one can have desires and longings and actually a lifestyle that flows from the way that we were born. We call it original sin. When the light comes in, the conscience is awakened. Until, it's interesting, it wasn't until the morning of Pentecost, days, weeks, uh, after the crucifixion of Christ, that the calloused hearts 
of Jerusalem sinners were pricked because they realized it was their hands that crucified their own Messiah. And they were going, I'm sure that they were living their life like they always had. They had just dusted their hands. We got rid of that troublemaker, Jesus. You know, I really regret that I ever placed any hope in that man. I guess he got what he deserved. But then the Holy Spirit comes down and comes upon Peter and his preaching. And he says, God, by the determinate counsel of God, he was uh, betrayed and crucified. You, with wicked hands, have crucified the Lord of glory. Then we read that their consciences were pricked. The pain of guilt. And no one likes that pain. And you will try to cover it and repress it. You will will beat the nerves of your conscience so that you grow a callus because you don't want to feel it. You turn your mind off at the preaching. But when the Holy Spirit breaks through, the conscience is awakened. Awake, thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. And all of the sudden, when that shaft of light breaks through and the conscience is awakened, yes, it hurts, it is grievous to me. All of a sudden, all these remembrances of sins that I had committed all my life that were lying dormant, they rise like monsters to stare at me and to accuse me. But the conscience at that point is beginning to be seen as a friend. We don't like physical pain, do we? But if we didn't have physical pain, we wouldn't know what's wrong. And we wouldn't go get fixed. Third, The heart is transformed. The very innermost being is radically changed. And it involves pain. Even a circumcision involved pain. Even as childbirth involves pain. So also the rebirth often involves pain, but it is the pain of the beginning of life. And the Lord God will circumcise thine heart, says Moses, and the heart of thy seed, to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul, that thou mayest live. This is heart surgery. No, this is heart transplant. A new heart will I give you, and a new spirit will I put in you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh. Notice, by the way, these are Old Testament texts. 
which is why our master rebuked Nicodemus for not knowing these basic principles. You must be born again. You will not go to heaven. You will plunge into the abyss of wrath. You will open your eyes next to the rich man who fared sumptuously every day and walked right past Lazarus without softening his heart. But he thought he was fine. He thought everything was okay until he died. And then he opened his eyes in hell, in unspeakable torments. Oh, he had been born, but he had not been reborn. He was physically a Jew, but he was not spiritually a Jew. It's not enough to be circumcised. Not enough. Not enough to be of the race of Abraham. No, you must be born again. He is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit. The Lord transforms the heart. He brings new life. He restores humanity. You see, when we reject God, we turn away from God. It's like like it was in Narnia. Everything became winter. Spring, summer, fall, winter, everything was winter. Everything was cold. Everything was frozen. Life had been reduced to to statues. But then the Lord, the Lord restores. We're walking in vanity. We think we're living. We're not living. We are subhuman. But then he restores us to life. It is a new creation. Everyone that is in Christ Jesus, notice that. That's the union with Christ. No rebirth without union with Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Fourth, their resistance is overcome. Their minds are enlightened. Their consciences are awakened. Their hearts are transformed. All their resistance melts away. He makes a willing people in the day of his power. The carnal mind is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. It resists God. The will is dead set against God. Until he gets inside and renews the will. Flavel uh, stresses just how supernatural this is with respect to the conquest of the will when we consider 
how deep the, the soul is rooted by natural inclination and long-continued custom in sin. Can a leopard change his spots? The Ethiopian, his skin? So can those who are accustomed to doing evil do good. How extremely averse it is to the ways of strict godliness and mortification. And then, how Satan, that invidious enemy, that strong-manned arm, fortifies the soul to defend his possession against Christ and entrenches himself in the understanding, will, and affections by deep-rooted prejudices against Christ and holiness. It is a wonder of wonders, says Flavel, to see a soul quitting all its beloved lusts and fleshly interests and endearments and coming willingly under Christ's yoke. This is not natural. This is supernatural. That the resistance of the stubborn, calloused, stiff-necked heart of man is softened and made like a child to say, yes, Lord. No more me. It's only you. Your will, not mine, be done, Lord. It can't happen without this rebirth. It can't happen. Caleb would not have been pointed to by the Lord as 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 that jewel, as that prize, as it were, of Jehovah, because he had another spirit, unless indeed his resistance had been overcome. And dear friends, it is God which works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Before, I wanted to go east. Now, I want to go west. Before, I was set on doing my own things. Now I desire, I really want to do the will of God. Fifth, there is the persuading and the prevailing over the whole being of the sinner. Every objection... Every disinclination is overcome. The Lord takes the arguments of the gospel, which just fell on deaf ears year after year after year. Come to the waters. Everyone that thirsts, do you thirst? Come to the waters. Would you be clothed, you who are naked and poor? Come. The spirit and the bride say, come. There is a reasoning, isn't there, in the gospel. There is a persuading, come. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. But until the Holy Spirit regenerates the heart of the sinner, all of those attempts just bounce off as against steel armor. But he prevails. 
The hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. He wins. Jesus wins. Jesus never ultimately loses. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. I'm not sure who first said it, but it's been said that had our Lord not actually used the personal name of Lazarus and simply said, come forth, then all the dead would have come out of their graves. One of our dear brothers who has moved from us, I can still hear those words echoing in my mind. They're very sweet to me. If you're one of his, you're going to come. That's a blessed reality. Oh, what a wonderful thing to be caught by Jesus. The sweetest arrest that there ever could be. Oh, will you not be arrested today, my friend? Will you not realize that you need to be arrested from yourself? And you've tried, and you've tried, and you've tried, but you can't do it yourself, because that which is born of the flesh is flesh, whereas that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And so sixth, there is the effectual drawing of them to Jesus Christ. No man can come to me except the Father draw him. And he that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. You see, that is the the goal of effectual calling is to draw the sinner to Christ. To personal, conscious faith and repentance but evangelical repentance, apprehending the mercy of God in Christ. It is to draw the sinner to Christ. Yes, Jesus. Yes, my master, I take you. I take you as my prophet, my priest, and my king. I deny myself. I surrender everything. I accept your free overtures of the gospel. He that believeth shall be saved. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord, but it can't happen until there is that inner movement, that deep seismic activity within the soul of the sinner. Until then, there's never an interest. Or if there is, it's just fleeting, and it passes away. How many people have come through these doors? who had no credible profession of faith, and they sat, and they sat politely, but it didn't stick. Will you also go away? Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. 
And the words that you speak, they are spirit and they are life. And you have spoken into the deadness and the darkness of my soul. And you have made me live. When I was in my blood, lying on the ground, you passed by. And that was the time of love. And you said, live when I was in my blood. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void. This is the explanation for Caleb. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereinto he went, and his seed shall possess it. Friends, as we close, Christianity is supernatural. It is not a force of nature. It is a force of supernature. Christ himself is supernatural, and the Christian is supernatural. The product, not of the will of man, not of the flesh, but of God. To be begotten of God is something that can be accomplished in no lab. But it is reality. Wonder at it, friends. Wonder at it. Come and see this beautiful rose growing in the desert. See Caleb. And if you see something of yourself or something of your brothers and sisters, look in the mirror and see not what your parents did, not what you did by an effort to reform yourself, but what the Spirit of God did 100%. You were powerless to bring yourself into this world, weren't you? Did you cast a vote to mom and dad? Say, yeah, I'd kind of like to live in this world. No! You just came. This, This is... Apart from Christ and his coming into this world, the most wonderful thing, the most glorious reality that can ever be observed, it is nothing less than creation part two. Isn't that how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 4, 6? For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The rebirth is nothing short of epic. Imagine in your mind, or maybe you can recall something that you could put in no other words than that was epic. 
and then take it, ball it up, and throw it in the garbage can because this is epic. This is where heaven steps in and creates a new world, a new creation. Robert Trail says, Was there ever so great a change in this world as creation when nothing became all things? That was the greatest change imaginable, a change from nothing into being. This is the greatest change that can possibly enter into the mind of man. This is the great idea. This is the great, in an age of experience, glutted with experience, this is experience. Experience that means something. Experience that is deep, that is lasting, that is good. Maybe you heard the story of a a woman who was a medium. In older days, you'd call her a witch. And she came and heard the preaching of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, and she was converted. And she came up to the doctor and she said, well, you see, when I was engaged in the occult, I had power. But when I came here, I experienced power, but the difference was that This was a clean power. That's the rebirth. It's a clean power. It's a good power. It's a restorative power. Wonder at this, dear friends. Hope after it. With man, things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. The most hopeless sinner does not prove too great a challenge for God. Case in point, Saul of Tarsus, chief of sinners. Jesus says, I want that one. And it's over. It is not impossible. And, friend, perhaps you find yourself tied up in knots with impossibility. You try to be better. You try to improve. You try to find the truth and meaning and purpose. But you, you can't do it. You're you're spinning your wheels. You're, You're sinking in the quicksand of yourself. Yes, it's impossible with you, and there's no 10-step program that is ever going to pull you out. Perhaps, maybe not even someone here, but maybe somebody listening, as you've been struggling with gender dysphoria. Maybe you've begun to, to go on medications to, to change yourself. And maybe you have changed yourself and your your scars are still healing, but you find on the other side that what you are chasing is not in your hands. And you're broken. And you've been lied to and cheated. I say to you, friend, there is hope for change. Because God 
can change you. God can change you. Wonder at it. Hope after it. Crave it. Do you see, Caleb? Do you see this beautiful rose there on the desert floor? Oh, would you crave it if you do not yet have it? Oh, to be as Caleb. Oh, to have another spirit within me. Oh, to be born again. And if you have lost it, in a manner of speaking, backslider, you can never lose uh, the rebirth, but you can lose the felt sense of God's Spirit. Crave, crave the sense of that change and beg for it. Beg as for your life, for your life does depend on it. And if you have this gift then intercede for others. Because you cannot talk them or even preach them into the kingdom. They must be born again. And if they are not born again, they will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Plead with the Lord. Godly Monica, mother of Augustine, she pleaded with the Lord for her son Augustine, who was living just a godless, wretched, dissipated life. And she prayed, and she cried, and she prayed, and she cried, and she came to Pastor Ambrose. Just a mess, an absolute mess. And he says, oh, the, the son of such tears cannot finally perish. Be as Moses. Fall on your face for your lost child, for your lost friend, for your unregenerate parent or neighbor or coworker. See what they don't see and intercede for them. And don't be surprised if you are surprised. And if you are born again, then live it. Live it. Don't talk about it. Don't play act it. Live it. Are you a new creature? Are old things passed away? Do you belong in heaven? Are you loved with an everlasting love? Do you belong not in this world but in the world to come? Have you been changed within that you may love God and your neighbor? Then be who you are. Wake. Wake up, Christian. If you are alive, then live and get out of bed And live that life so that others will see. And may God work his transforming grace in them. Amen. Let us close in prayer. Please stand. Oh, Lord.
Forgive us for failing to reckon with these things as we should. And we do earnestly pray for those who have not tasted and seen that the Lord is good. But, oh God, how we rejoice. For flesh and blood has not revealed these things to us, but our Father who is in heaven. And sweeten our spirits by these realities and enable us to live in its power to the praise of Christ. Amen. You may be seated.